Welcome to Bang on the Money, the feminist financial podcast aiming to smash the taboo around money through honest conversations about mistakes made, lessons learned, and the money myths that hold us back. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Harriet Ulner is a writer and senior account manager at Common Industry, a purpose-led communications agency. In collaboration with Starling Bank, she drove the Make Money Equal campaign, which called out the media on speaking to men and women differently about money. Outside of Common Industry, she has written for Metro and has her blog, The Scribble Bug. She writes... We need a money positivity movement. According to Money Supermarket, around 14 million people in the UK spend every day stressed about their finances. We need to start recognising the huge impact of money on our mental health. We've had this amazing movement with sex positivity and body positivity and people saying that actually, no matter what you look like, no matter how you jiggle or wiggle or like are skinny or fat, like no matter what, like you can exist as you are. And the same goes for sex positivity. If you want to have loads of sex, if you want to have no sex, if you're like, whatever you're doing, you don't have to feel any shame. Um, and that's money positivity too. Like if your bank balance is really low, you still have value as a human. Mm-hmm. If you can afford that handbag, good for you. That doesn't make you a better human. Because I think actually if you can start addressing that question of why we're emotional and what we're emotional about like the real reasons of it I think it kind of Mm. it makes sense I think the comparison with the body positivity movement Mm. is really interesting especially because so much of the diet industry and fashion is Mm. condensed into numbers so you can always go I'm a size this I weigh this I ate these many calories Mm. and that I think is what is so damaging when it comes to looking at your body but then the same can easily be said for money because Mm -hmm. it's like I have not been able to save this and if I get the bill of that then I won't be able to like eat so exactly all of these unexpected bills and just the overdraft amount or, or even things like I'm if I open a credit card how much do I get or Mm. what's my credit score like all there's so many numbers that is like you are worth this all the time all the time and you need to try and separate yourself from that and see money as a tool and not as a mark of your self-worth definitely there's loads of small emotional moments when it comes to spending and earning and like maybe you've paid for a holiday that month but it means you can't go to your mate's birthday because actually you just don't you can't afford it that's a really horrible feeling. And the fact that most of the time we don't want to tell them that's why we're not coming. So it's like, oh, I'm busy. But privately you're sitting there going like, I now feel lonely. I now feel ashamed. I now feel like maybe I've made the wrong decision about this great holiday that I'm going on. There's all those stats as well about how like people are not comfortable talking about their salary or how much they spend. 22% of people are comfortable talking about money with their close friends. 29% are comfortable talking about sex. Yeah. Um, but then 45% are comfortable talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. So we've had this really amazing movement, I think, particularly in the mental health space, where people are beginning to talk about how they feel and what their headspace is doing. And I think we need that same positivity. And like, because positive doesn't mean happy. Yeah. It just means that you... It's like more accepting. It's accepting and it's kind of going, I recognise where I am. I recognise what I want to do next. Like, here is the problem. Here's how I can address it. Mm-hmm. Positivity simply is about being comfortable and knowing mm-hmm. that you can, you're, you have value and that you can address whatever issues you, you're, you're sort of facing. I think that's what it really comes down to. Definitely. What do you find helps you when mm. you are feeling anxious about money? There are lots of little things. Um, so I definitely find with money, the first thing that helped me was knowing where I was. So whilst I've said you're checking your bank balance is not the thing that helps, 
in the same sentence, it is kind of the thing that helps because knowing where, how much money you have and keeping check of it regularly really can be useful. Mm. I think burying your head in the sand doing the ostrich is not useful when it comes to your money because like, I used to be really, really guilty of it. Mm. Like, in the sense that I was in the bottom of my overdraft when I left university, as a lot of people typically are, I think. It really, was way too big because I was a student that didn't bother having a job for their last year. Because I was like, I'm going to focus on my whatever. And uh, <laughs> my, my degree is really important, really practical. Um, <laughs> worth all that money. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I think like, you know, it was definitely, I, I wasn't looking at my bank balance because I knew it was rubbish. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it's either going to be minus this or it's going to be minus that. It's never going to be in the positive. Um, so why even look? But then when I moved to London and suddenly I was earning for the first time I was it was really depressing seeing my salary go in and still never reaching zero Mm -hmm. so for those first few years it was just absolutely harrowing and like not knowing what I was doing made it really really hard you had no knowledge you had no knowledge armed with any Mm -mm. any idea of what to do there was no sense of control like Mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of money comes back to control definitely because actually like knowing where you are where you start is a really good step so paying attention in that sense um, but I think it's about figuring out what makes you um, feel more in control of your money. Yeah. So for me, it's actually categorizing things. Okay. So I'm, I'm very specific about what I categorize as what. So if I categorize all of the, my food expenditure, I will make sure that I have like, I put all drinks and going out with my mates in entertainment. Yes. So then I'm like, aha, well that was actually 200 pounds I didn't need to spend this month on purely wine, literally fermented grapes. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, yeah. I think everyone kind of probably has that. Um, it's really confronting, but yes. it's also quite empowering it, yes. when you know what yeah. you're spending. And that's where fintech is brilliant really because useful. you don't have to go through with your Excel mm. spreadsheet anymore. You can just spend yeah. and then it's categorised for you. Mm-hmm. I think developing a savings habit was mm-hmm. also a really nice way for me to like start taking a bit of control. Definitely. So my friend Kate um, is an absolute rock star and she basically said to me, when we were first moving into London and she and I were on very similar salaries and it was very little because we were, you know, sort of interning in PR agencies. And um, she said that she still put aside £100 every month. And I was like, I have no idea how you do that because I'm like negative financials at the end of every month. And she was like, no, no, you just have to, you just have to do it because once you start doing it and you just don't touch it, it's there. Yeah. And so... I started doing it with fifty pounds because I was like, maybe I can afford that. Mm-hmm. And so slowly but surely, and you know, there were definitely months where I'd take that money back because mm-hmm. I needed to. But it was there, and it was a habit that I tried to develop. So I think those kind of things were really useful. And it was like giving myself small goals and small things to try and achieve. I now spend a lot of time just trying to figure out why I feel the way I do about money as well. Mm-hmm. So I actually sit there and kind of go, right, you feel really stressed. Why do you feel really stressed? Oh, okay, it's because you've got eight hundred pounds in expenses due. Like, that's a lot of money. You're going to feel stressed and sort of going, yes, okay, you're allowed to feel worried, but you know that's going to come back. Mm -hmm. Or you know that you can do better this time. Or, okay, so we won't, maybe we won't go on that holiday later. And it's that kind of like, just take it on. (laughs) Self-soothe. Self-soothe. Positive affirmations are really (laughs) useful. (laughs) How were you with money growing up? Have you got a kind of memory that sticks in your head of of money? I'm just going to throw it back at you a little bit because I've got got a theory about this. Mm -hmm. Is your first memory of money positive or negative? Negative. See, I think everyone's must be. Mm. Because 
So my first memory of money is that when I was seven years old, my godfather took me to the Rainforest Cafe. Okay. Okay. And I had saved up monthly 50p's, which is my pocket money, to take with me to go and buy a Beanie Baby. Love this. Okay. What did you go for? So this is the thing. I got pickpocketed. Oh my God. During this trip to the Rainforest Cafe. And I lost my seven pounds. It was six pound ninety nine for a Beanie Baby. I had seven pounds in my tiny purse, and it got pickpocketed off the back of my chair. That's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> but the lesson that I was taught was: you saved up, it got stolen. You don't get the Beanie Baby because <laughs> no one bought me the Beanie Baby. It was my birthday. I was like, you're gonna get it for me anyway, right, Dad? No, no. It's you know, it was like it was a life lesson. Yeah. It was very much like an educational thing, like. They ended up, um, the Rainforest Cafe ended up giving me a bag to replace the one that had been stolen. Okay. So I ended up with this weird lion tote bag. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really wanted was the £7 beanie baby. And Do you think that gave you a negative attitude towards saving? Not necessarily, because I always used to have, like, tins. Like, tins okay. upon tins of two peas. Okay. I think but I still do. it just do. gave you, like, a horrible disappointed feeling yes and that's when someone said to me when like I've had, cause I've had this question a couple times where it's like what's your first memory of money I'm like it was being robbed yeah like, and it was this emotional negative yeah. like not a good feeling uh-huh and I just think everyone I just think that because the thing about money we've talked about how it's emotional I don't think you, think you really think about the value of, of it until it's been taken away and it's an unfair situation mm-hmm. so I don't know was your so mine I haven't got a specific memory but I just remember my dad has always been incredibly honest about money to the point yeah. where he'll talk about how much things cost yeah and when you're I don't know how old would I have been six or seven and he would talk about a 200 pound bill Mm. or whatever it was and at seven 200 pounds is a huge amount of money so many zeros so many zeros and I just remember feeling quite overwhelmed and that we weren't going to be able to pay for things Mm. and I think that that has sort of turned into like an anxious I feel very unsafe if I don't have things something saved yeah it makes me feel really on edge and really horrible and I don't like having debt so my student loan makes me feel horrendous (laughs) Um, yep. But I now think of it like a tax, which I think is a much better way of thinking about it because yeah. you only start paying it off after you earn a certain amount of money and it's something that lots of people of my generation are going to have. So, For but sure. yeah, that's kind of... I think that that's made me into more of a saver than a spender, but sometimes mm. I kind of beat myself up too much. If I go and buy a like £30 dress from Zara, I will make sure that I wear that dress a lot to like make up for that money. Yes, I, I have to say, I think conscious fashion has also taught me that. In yeah. the sense that I've just been like, if I'm not going to wear it 30 times, you don't get to buy it. So and also going to like charity saving. shops is just so much better for your pocket and for the environment. Yes. And Depop, amazing. And you get amazing Great. things in there. I've got totally. this amazing pair of shoes I bought in a charity shop. And I googled them and I was like, wow, I got these for like £25 and they have four zeros. Like, this is yes, insane. So like, and it's just because somebody had obviously just decided they didn't want these Italian whatevers. Mm. Um... But no, there's, I think there's this ridiculous sort of thing as well, like when, you, when it comes to those early memories and how it turns you into more of a saver or a spender or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so my parents are really candid about money, but they don't think that they are. Oh, interesting. I said this to my dad the other day. I was like, Dad, like, you've always talked about money with us. Right. Um, and also, like, my mum being a former accountant now, and, like, she's now a florist and, like, does loads of stuff with um, schools as well. So she has always been really, really good with money. And then my dad has always made jokes about being the one that, like, 
mm-hmm. spends it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think of... there were there were numbers that were thrown around, but I also still don't know what my dad earns. Partly because he's self-employed, Neither. so I think that's obviously a bit more complicated. But he definitely knows, but I don't know. Mm. Um, and again, with my mum, no idea. And yeah. so they, and then they wouldn't talk about the logistics of it. They wouldn't say, you know, I've got investments in this, this, and this. Mm. They wouldn't ever talk about that. And it did feel like this big taboo subject where I didn't really know what on earth I was doing. And just talking about the language of it, those labels of good with money and bad with money, I didn't really know if I was good or bad with money because I had no idea what everybody else was doing and whether my food bill for university was high or low because I never talked to my friends about it. So I didn't have any point of like reference or comparison. The only thing I talked about with... Friends at university when it was money was rent. But that was literally all we really spoke about. Mm. Conversations with my parents about money have always been there, but we didn't really recognise them as conversations about money. They were never really about our personal finances individually. They were generally about collective group stuff or them trying to teach me a lesson. A lot of it was also about very much about equality. So, like, if my mum bought my sister a pair of shoes, she would make sure to buy my brother and me a pair of shoes. Okay. Or something equivalent. So it was always about making sure that everyone was equal. Right. Which is, a, I think, is a very important sentiment. But then when I got to university, we, it, was kind of, it was all about sweeping it under the rug. And then moving into London, everyone became really, really open about it, I think. It felt like everyone was kind of like, oh, well, rent is this, and I'm getting paid that. And all of us were talking about salary, and all of us were talking about wanting to earn more. Whereas now, I have maybe two or three friends who, because they know me... I mean, I talk about money all the time. I'm terrible for it. I make people feel very awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. Um, I think it's good to be open. And I think not necessarily asking people questions that are going to make them feel uncomfortable, but just being really open about it yourself can mm. then encourage other people to do the same. Yeah. And research has shown that if you talk about money, then it makes you feel better mm. about it. It's, what, it's another good habit that I think really helps you feel in control is... Feeling okay to say no. The Hindus are the thing at the moment. There are some where I'm like, no, honey, I'm not spending a thousand pounds to go to an island for two days. Mm. The average cost is something like two hundred and four pounds. It's something they talked about on the high low recently. And I think Holder talks about it in her book as well. She does. Like Holder. Yeah. I related to that so much. How do you figure out everybody's budget? What do you do if there's like a person who really wants like an extravagant Hindu but her friends don't actually have the finances for it? Like, how do you balance these things? Yeah, and it's quite a lot of strain. But it's one of my favourite <laughs> chapters in Open Up the Power of Talking About Money by Alex Holder. And I wanted to ask you about reading it's as well. So good. <laughs> I love reading. Um, Alex's so book is what I was referring does to. Does <laughs> reading about money make you feel better about it? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sometimes. I think, I think people are getting better at it too. So we've just mentioned Open Up, which is... It, it made me laugh. There were moments where I was like, oh my God, that's so me. And it was cringe. Uh, there were moments where I definitely was like, well, that's something I'm going to note down for the future. I think it's the most candid book I've ever read about the emotions of money and that all those kind of things that can be seen as negative, but how you can turn them into a positive and sort of going, here is a situation, here is how you can... It's like CBT, but for your money in a book in a book and it's really it's really really good but it's also so many more like where should we begin with Esther Perel which is one of the best podcasts ever which is, for anyone who hasn't listened to it it's like couples therapy that's recorded because of those interviews that mm. Alex Holder has done with all these different people you're basically you're like a fly on the wall for different problems mm-hmm. that you will 
relate to or not relate to yeah will resonate with you or won't but there's always going to be something where you'll go oh my gosh that's me and that's what it's like but for money in a book and I think even if you don't see yourself in that particular story you might also recognize your friends yes because like there are so many ones where like oh wait that's literally like my sister or this person who's really good over here that's definitely this you know some whatever and you're kind of and it kind of just it feels like you're kind of engaging with your mates a lot in that book. I think reading it's been mm. really, really positive. Have you done a money salon? I haven't yet. I really want to. I kind of feel like maybe we should do one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is something that Alex suggests in her book, which is to hold an evening or a daytime lunch or whatever you want, coffee, where you specifically sit down with your friends and you talk about money. I think And just break amazing. down the taboo, break the boundaries. Do you know what it is, though? I feel like anyone that comes to dinner with me will probably have that. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> There's, there's a specific group of people who will just sort of... Particularly because of what I do day to day, I get questions all the time about which app should I use? Which one's better? Have you got anything for investment? Have you got anything for saving? Anything to do with money? My friends now come to me about it. So that definitely is a thing. Mm. Not like how they can get rich, because I'm, not, I'm not useful for that. But I can give you good app advice. Mm. <laughs> what are your top three money apps? Um, <laughs> I think... So the ones which I use the most, obviously, Starling Bank, um, like, I feel like, disclaimer, used to work for them, still use them. It's how we know each other. It's how we know each other. Um, Really, really rate them. Um, But I just find that all the tools in that app, it visualises it in the way that works for me. I think that the Roundup stuff really works. I love the fact that Settle Up is so simple. Mm -hmm. Um, Should we explain what these are? So Roundup is that you (laughs) It's a savings tool. Yeah, so you can have a goal of something. So say you're going on holiday, I'm going to go to Greece later this year. Mm. I've got a goal. I know how much I need to save for that. And then every time I spend, say I spend pound fifty on a coffee, then 50p goes into my goal. So it's like automated savings. Whereas Settle Up is like the fact that we just order Deliveroo and (laughs) I will then send literally a link to you after this at some point and we'll go it's equally split and we don't need and we to, don't do have to think about number sort code it does all the math for you yeah it's really useful the other one which is actually very similar is splitwise mm-hmm. that's great app. my friends we every single time we go on holiday we use it and so it's like you know when we went to we did a girl's holiday not that long ago um and we just, every single person, if you paid for an Uber, it went straight in the app. If you paid for lunch, you put it in the app. And it just meant that actually one person could put it on their card. You didn't have to math with 20 cards. And then at the end, you just split it. And it was so, so simple. Yeah, really good app. Really, really good. And so then... Number, um, number three. My number three, I think... I'm just, like, looking in my money book bit. So I've got... So I do love... I actually do love Moneybox, which yeah. is another Roundups one. Yeah. Because but that was also my... Answer, you got yes. Yeah. yeah. So Investing. And, um, it's, it, I just found it really useful because it was the first app I had and it's just been, it's just been one that like, I've really enjoyed the little things about it. So whether it's the slightly gamified way that it works or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just find them really useful. I, I also just want to shout out to Flux. Yeah. Which is in the Starling app. <laughs> because I love getting free food. <laughs> things about flux is the fact that so there's an eat which is right by the where i walk every morning 
and every so often I just get like a surprise you've got a free coffee and it's like the best thing ever yeah so that one Flux is a really does good digital one. receipts so digital you don't receipts. need to keep your paper receipts um, anymore but also loyalty and rewards which yeah. is the bit which I get really excited about obviously yeah. <laughs> just nice when you get like a free coffee yeah because and Anne Bowden who's the founder of Starling Bank her books recently come out and that is packed full of apps that are really helpful for all the apps like your whole financial life (laughs) um there's so many that i hadn't ever heard of things like um pay as you go car insurance really handy yeah because you don't need to like pay for your entire year if you're not going to be using your car all the time it's really about building what's bespoke to your financial life i think Mm. so but i think that's quite a good separation because Mm. emotion doesn't have to come into it it's like this is my little toolbox Mm. and these are going to help me and it's save or invest or add to my pension or whatever your financial goal is there is an app for that there's an app for that (laughs) (laughs) but I think I think it's also that kind of it's that cognitive load thing Mm -hmm. so the fact that I feel like Starling alleviates some of the cognitive load for me around money like I feel like it does a lot of the hard work so that I don't have to and I think that a lot of these other apps do that as well so you know the fact that um you know money box and the roundup feature from starling they both are money just goes zip into the whatever pot you're trying to make work mm-hmm. so and it's just it's done without you having to think about it it's done and then you check in every so often is the visibility of it I think visibility is so, so important yeah 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 so what are the other books that you've been reading about money and what are your thoughts on them there's so many i mean ways of them have come out um since Emma Gannon had multi-hyphen method. I love it. So and that's it's a book about different income streams and mm. developing your side hustles into something bigger or keeping them alongside your full-time job and yes. how to manage it. It's very practical, very interesting. Yeah, book. and like so building a portfolio career that works for you So and also and all those kind of things. And it's not so much about... It's not gig economy in the slightest. It's like if you are someone who has a full-time job in tech but then also wants to be a freelance writer, you can, and you can make it work, and it's figuring out how. Um, so I think there's lots of things in there which are really, really useful, and there's a really, really handy chapter on money, mm-hmm. which I just was like, this is... The, it was the first It was the first one of this kind of, like, sort of influx. Yeah. yeah. So the other books that combine kind of career advice and have chapters on money are Slay in Your Lane by Yomi Adegoke and Elizabeth Uvabineni. And then Ategra Wagba's Little Black Book as And she well. has a book coming out later this year, I think. I think it's or next, it next year. year? Which is so we need to talk about money. I really want to read that one. And it's a money memoir. Also, if you ever listen to her talk about money, Ategra, she's so good. Like, she's so, like, practical. I feel like everyone needs that friend that will just tell you how it is. Yeah. And it's just, like, no bullshit money. Yeah. And I feel like that's Ategra. That's yeah. kind of every time I hear her speak. Especially kind of... if you're a creative woman or a freelancer yes. and, you, and you're in that space because you're having to negotiate contracts and you're trying to put your own worth on your own work all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's so confronting. And she just makes you feel a lot less alone in that struggle. And she also just... One of the most practical pieces of advice that she gave that I've taken to heart has been don't... As women... A lot of us are really good at talking to each other, but we then don't necessarily ask our guy friends the same question. So it's like, how much is your day rate? If I ask some of my friends, it's like, the, who are women, but all on kind of a similar amount. But then I asked a guy friend the other day and it was like, so much higher. Mm. I was like, okay, maybe I can charge that. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should 
<laughs> and I was also I was speaking to um, Nicholas, who is one of the money medics. Who um, they have got a fantastic Instagram account, which has got loads of different savings life hack tips. And he was saying that he thinks that there is just as much as a taboo for male like friends all getting together. They don't talk about certain aspects of personal finance either. So I think there are gendered parts of the conversation, but ultimately it's a taboo for almost everybody. Yeah, agreed. I think, oh, speaking of great Instagram accounts, by the way, and money ones, Betches. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Okay, so it's on Instagram. Um, they also have a career book out, which is uh, When's Happy Hour? And that's like, work hard so you can hardly work is the tagline. But that is, um, it starts off as an Instagram account, so it doesn't actually say author's name on it, it just says Betches. And it's just, the Instagram is worth following because it's just so real. So it's like the, the feeling after fun day, when you're like, okay. I'm guilty. Or actually, <laughs> or, or just some of the ones where it's actually like, you know what, it's payday and it's like go time or whatever. And it's kind of all those emotions that just sort of ricochet so up So it's and like down. money motivational. It is, but it's also like kind of practical. Um, so it's like becoming a CEO, navigating office hookup, like any of that kind of stuff. But also there's some really practical tips about money in there. Yeah. So the other ones that I've read recently are You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich by Emily Burns. Yes, I've just been reading that one. It's really good. Really good. Really practical mm-hmm. um, and encourages you to take notes and kind of fill in your own things. And it made me look up my student loan. It made me look up how much I've got on my pension so far and mm. actually find those numbers and then write them down. And... Go Fund Yourself by Alice Tapper. Yes, which is also a great Instagram account. Also great. <laughs> and they're all just different. You can read them all. Yeah. It's like you had Laura Watley with the money book. Mm-hmm. Um, is that called the money book? It's called Money, a User's Guide. So good. So good. And I gave that to my brother as his Christmas present. And I said, George, this is going to be the best present you ever receive. Oh I'm my giving gosh. you financial education. Yeah. And he has read through almost all of it but he's concentrated so much and he's like made notes and he's gone through it and he feels like he's learned so much from this book especially on things like credit cards yes and which I had no idea I didn't know the difference between bonds and stocks and shares yeah I didn't know what they were to the stocks I'm like there's so many things like that which I feel like I almost had to learn the hard way when I was first exploring like crowdfunding and I was like oh what's a what is a solar bond Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was kind of coming at it from, like, let me just Google all these things. And you go into the internet and then you end up with these long, long articles about things in language that you don't really understand. And there's a whole thing about, like, appropriateness of the audience. So you're meant to try... Like, financial brands are meant to try and talk to people that are in an appropriate manner. But if you are just a lay person who doesn't work in finance or doesn't work in that particular niche of finance... Half of these things that you find on the internet are so hard. It's why, like, Martin Lewis and all of that work is so important, I think, as well. Totally. Um, because, actually, it's just talking to people like that. And especially the charity yeah. Money and Mental Health that he which has set is up. Which is incredible. And their research is just always blows me away. And all mm-hmm. the advice that they give, and if anyone's struggling with that... And, actually, you know what everyone does to a certain extent? I think that's another thing that people are recognising, that everyone has some kind of anxiety and stress around money. Money, yeah. And going onto that website and reading through it is going to be helpful for... Mm. When it comes to that sort of mental health side, it's things like, if you've ever been down and gone for retail therapy, that's your mental health coming into play. If you, or if you are feeling sorry because you, like, you can't afford something and you're like, I really wish I could, why do you think you wish you could? Because is it because actually you're missing out on something with your friends or is it because... It's you this think feeling that, of, like, I'm not good enough and I'm going to yeah. try and fill that with something And I else. think what their research really looks into is the fact that 
and so sort of breaking down the taboos and the boundaries between those two things, which is really, really useful. Um, so actually, in terms of literature that you can read, they have some great reports. <laughs> You're feeling a bit nerdy. Um, and their social media channels are great. And so, uh, yeah. And they've got, and Martin Lewis has done a textbook, which yes! is going out to schools, finally. That's so exciting. Which is great. So yeah. I hope that finally there's going to be a generation mm. below us that actually are going to have some knowledge and some tools and yeah. some understanding of how money works mm. and and that I think the thing that I got from Laura's book is that it's so much simpler than you think it is but I think that because I wasn't taught it in school it made me think oh well I'm only going to understand this when I leave school and it's too adult and too complicated mm. but then when you kind of take it into your own hands you start reading about it you're like actually I can read that chapter on investments I read it about three times and it kind of started to sink in but then it's like it just is so much less scary yeah I have a book at home which is I've literally read about four pages of and then put down then picked it up again tried again and i've done it like several times it's called like the junior investment like book Mm -hmm. and it's about and it's meant to teach young people how to invest for the first time it's literally gibberish it's so dense yeah it's so dense and it's just so good about all these books they're so easy to read there's several which are very practical so that's emily's and laura's and um you know and Anne's as well to a point obviously it's talking about more about apps and whatnot but it's it's there and then you have Alex Holders with Open Up and you have Go Fund Yourself mm-hmm. by Go Alex. Fund Yourself is somewhere in the middle and Alex Holders also has practical elements mm. of it but oh, it's, for sure. it's more around the emotions Alice Tappas talks a lot about the history of money and the history of consumerism yeah. and really interesting stories so things mm-hmm. like Anna Delvey who was the <laughs> the, the girl who story such ever. a crazy story who got away with racking up a huge debt and yeah. just having all these payments deferred because she had this sort of filter yeah. of wealth well, she just she pretended that she was like a an heiress, didn't she? Yeah. They had been promised this holiday trip to Morocco, and I think they were saying like Richard Branson's like Riyadh or something. They were saying somewhere really swanky, and um, she basically couldn't pay the bill on this credit card, and so she just sort of waltzed on out of there and left it with the with this writer and somebody else who was staying with them as well. And then that's when it all and that's unraveled. when it all started unraveling. And it was one of those ones where apparently she was doing a kind of like, oh, go to this bank and get this, and then promising them this, and then going round and round and round. And she just, yeah, mm. utterly bizarre. It's the weirdest case of fraud and how Instagram can, like, yeah. literally cover up I'll how maybe a person fire festival. is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is the same principle. Yeah, It's totally. exactly the same principle, totally. just on a it's like grand fakeness scale. fakeness that can be just this complete facade yeah. that you can create out of social media. Yeah. It's I think that's what's so fascinating, actually, because you have, like, you know, something that's really very real, like mm. GoFund Yourself, where social media's been used for, like, a really good reason and it's broken down so many conversations and opened up other different other things as well. And then you have, like, this crazy, glamorised image thing. And I think that's kind of back to the money positivity movement as well. Like, you might not have the instagrammable money life that is totally okay that's somebody else's highlights reel mm-hmm. um and i think that's kind of it, it's all the same sort of principle actually yeah honesty is the center point of all of these things like set honesty with yourself definitely what do you wish you'd known about money when you were 16 oh god when i was 16 i feel like when i was 16 i just didn't really know what money was in a way like i did it was the thing that bought me food and that i earned in holidays and it was very useful, but it really, I, I think, I really, really, really wish that I had paid attention in 
like some of those math classes that we had at school. So we, um, so the school I went to did international baccalaureate, and I did math. Yeah, IB survivors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's a one of the you have to take maths up until the end of your sixth form for that. So I did math studies because I was never very good at maths, but it gave you loads of um, really useful things about statistics. It did, and like actual money questions and I was like well when am I ever going to need this <laughs> and now I knew statistics all the time and I always conversations around money and like how to do tax and how to do this well, I wish I'd paid attention that's kind of <laughs> honestly <laughs> like it made my life be very different um <laughs> but then I don't think that that's a mistake that's necessarily yours because maybe they should have made it more practical and actually made you understand that you do yeah. need it I think that's a huge problem with maths and lots of people will realise later, oh, I didn't mm. need maths. Because I think there's always that thing, especially if you struggle a lot with maths, people will say, well, you won't need it when you leave. Yeah. But there are so many things that you yeah, really I mean, do I need. I still don't think you need trigonometry. No. But, <laughs> you know, but it's the way that your brain works. And I, yeah. I had a really interesting conversation with the CEO of National Numeracy. Okay. They're a really good charity and they're trying to encourage people to keep using their maths and keep that part of their brain fit. And they mm-hmm. talk about maths as a fitness, not as a thing that's set in stone. You know, mm-hmm. You've got to like work that muscle to actually keep it going. Yes. And that can have a big impact on your money as well. So if you're like confident, yeah. a bit more confident in your maths, then you're also a bit more confident in your money, hopefully. And then that's I a think good that's thing. that's very true. It was only once I really started paying attention and started having to do some of these bits and pieces again, um, like figuring out like sort of what my payment, like <laughs> payroll type slip meant or any of those kind of things. It was only when that kind of stuff started happening, I started being like, well, have I been paid for that hour here? Or did I really started to think maybe I could be in control of my money. Burying my head in the sand and stopping with the maths and like just ignoring it had not worked at all. And then once you start like start doing it again, it's like, it's not riding a bike, but it's... Yeah, but I think yeah. it's also that we can have this divide between numbers people. And this is where I think language again gets in the way of these like good with money, bad with money, numbers people, and mm. then like reading-y people and all, all creative people which again like everyone is creative to some yeah. level it's just a scale mm-hmm. but I think that that can also make you get into this mindset of oh I'm not a numbers person I'm really bad with money and actually numeracy is obviously really important and the math is really important but I think there is also a side which is the emotional side mm. and actually developing those two habits side by side is what's really good and it's not to do with how much is in your bank account at all it's genuinely just like your attitude Thank you so much for listening to Bang on the Money. You can find out more about Harriet at The Scribble Bug on Twitter or Instagram and at Charlotte Lorimer on Twitter for me or at Charlotte Lorimer on Instagram. Thank you to Millie Ashbridge for the music and Bahas for the cover. And please do rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find the podcast.